Welcome to the Delvin Cox Experience, the podcast in which each week I'm on a one-man mission to unite our culture through diversity. I'm your host, Delvin Cox, and with me on the podcast is a special guest. She's an author. She's a trainer. She's a motivational speaker. I have Julie Kratz on the podcast. Welcome to the experience, Julie. How are you doing? Hey, thanks for having me, Delvin. Good to have you on the podcast. Definitely. As always, we like to start the podcast off with the five for five. Five questions, five asks to get the ball rolling. Julie, are you ready? I am so ready. Question number one. What is the best album or song you listened to in the past year? And it does not have to be new. Oh, I'm a sucker for Adele. I hate to use like a generic example. That's not generic. I, I like Adele. I don't stay up with latest music. I, I'm stuck in the 90s. Oh, <laughs> you should hear my catalog. It's mostly 80s music and 90s hip hop. So, yep, same, same. <laughs> I like it. Question number two. Give me what you think your definition of diversity is. Mm, I think diversity is about representation. You know, some of the other words, inclusion, equity, get thrown in because representation is not enough. But it's not just gender and race. You know, I think people really narrow the definition when it can include a lot of different aspects of diversity, diversity of perspective, of age, of class, of background. Um, but it definitely is the thing that brings the best ideas and the best solutions to problems, I believe, is diversity. I like it. Good answer. Question number three. Julie, what's the dumbest thing you've ever done as a kid? Don't say anything that's going to get us in trouble. <laughs> uh, my most embarrassing moment probably was when I learned to ski. As a kid, and um, no one told me, like, I didn't go through lessons or anything. It's like, oh, and it's Ohio, so it was like a hill. Okay. Get on the lift with my best friend, and we're up at the top, and she, you know, gets off at the top of the lift on the ramp like you're supposed to. And if you've skied before, you know, everyone's supposed to, but I did not know this. So I proceeded to go around and have to ride the lift down to the bottom and jump in this big pile of snow which was so embarrassing julie by myself H- have you not watched movies there's like <laughs> tons of movies where there's references know. to how people ski i did not know it i have not skied before but i have watched better off dead <laughs> i know you're getting on the ramp see your 80s yes it's a <laughs> classic yes it is wow i like that answer that's a good answer question number four this is an important question for you. Depending on how you answer this, whether I like you or not. Oh, niece. Pineapple or pizza or no? Oh, I'm not a fan. I am not. Thank I, God. It doesn't belong on pizza. Gross. No. You're absolutely correct. See, I like you. Good <laughs> My family thinks otherwise. I'm like, keep that away from me. But yeah, luckily, I well, not luckily, I, I don't do dairy or gluten anymore. So I get my own pizzas. <laughs> ah, yeah. You should, you need to raise them better. <laughs> Pineapple pizza is the worst. Mm-mm. I remember when I was a kid, I didn't like pizza. It wasn't for a long period of time. But my first pizza was a pineapple and anchovy pizza. It's not your fault. And that sounds horrible. It just it sounds horrible because it is like horrible. Sweet and salty. Yeah. Yes. No thanks. Mm-mm. And I didn't know what anchovy was. I was probably like six. I'm like, what in the world is this? This is terrible. <laughs> and then I had pizza a couple weeks later with just pepperoni. It was fantastic. 
There you go. And I'm now addicted to pizza. <laughs> Much like a Ninja Turtle. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite Ninja Turtle? Oh, wait. These are your oh, questions. Oh, okay. oh I, I will answer that question. My favorite Ninja Turtle is Michelangelo. Oh, for sure. The yeah. party dude. Yes. The fun one. Yeah. Yes. He's awesome. All right. I remember that, too. That was my favorite. Awesome. Question number five. Zombie apocalypse happens Walking Dead style. So it's the slow zombies, but it's the beginning of Walking Dead, I guess, like season one, where the city is kind of getting ready to be overrun and stuff like that. You can take five things with you, anything you want to leave the city and go find shelter and be safe. Your family and pets don't count. They automatically come with you. What are the five things you're taking, Julie? Mm, Yeah. I was very into The Walking Dead, so I have thought at length about said question. Okay, that's that's good then. That's good. So we're going to get some good answers. <laughs> yeah, it, but you know, I, I don't like, it doesn't say anything about me. This is Apocalypse, Julie, so keep that in mind, listeners. That's I've fine. never shot a gun before, but I do feel like that would be important to have okay. a weapon of some sort. Okay. So whatever knives or accessories I could find to defend myself, that would probably be Priority one, um, besides the fam, they said I got. And then, Ophelia, I mean, a photo or two um, that you could keep. And um, clothes that you would need for the weather. Okay. First aid kit, maybe, of some sort. Okay, or some sort like of a medicinal, medicinal, like antibiotic, you know, something you're going to need that's going to be hard to find later. Okay. And then I'm sure I'm forgetting something here because I have, again, thought at length about this. But I know water would be important, like maybe like a water filtration thing. So now we're talking. Yeah. Water, right? Like the water is how you die. Yeah. yeah. You definitely need water. Yeah. <laughs> but one like of those it. like bags where you like filter it because obviously you can't take I, I like it. bottled water. And I like the fact that you gave a totally mom answer. Like I got to <laughs> take photos because <laughs> I need to see my that, family. That was like after the gun, you know. I don't know if that was <laughs> <laughs> depending on what state you're in. That might be what I'm answer to. <laughs> yeah, and I've again never shot a gun or even touched a gun before, so I'm not saying I'm pro. You know, however you think on that spectrum, I'm yeah. not going to go there. But I, just something to defend myself. Yes, you do need something to defend yourself. That in the zombie apocalypse, I think that's acceptable. <laughs> yeah. All right. bets are off. Then no rules. Yes. So. <laughs> Tell everybody about yourself for those who don't know who you are. Yeah. Um, so I have, I'm best known probably as a business owner for my business, Next Pivot Point, that exists to facilitate inclusive workplace cultures where everyone feels seen, heard, and belong. Been an entrepreneur for going on eight years. So I did DEI work before it was quote unquote cool or a hot topic, if you will. Um, and before I did that, I spent 12 years in corporate. Um, did my own thing, just had a baby. And I was like, this is just not a place I feel like I can thrive. And not just because I, I could do both, you know, be a mom and work. It was more like, I don't feel included. I don't really feel like I belong. Not People don't really listen to me the same as they do my male colleagues. And I was like, peace out. Like I got more important stuff to do. This little one made me realize how precious um, our choices are. Well, let, so. let me ask you this. How does one realize that, you know what, maybe I'm not getting the respect that I kind of deserve. And I, I know I can speak from, from my perspective and working in corporate and not working in corporate, how you can see yourself doing the job, the same job, in some cases a superior job than others. And they're like, hmm, nah, we'll, we'll pass you over for a promotion or something like that. 
So how did you kind of realize, you know what? This might not be for me. They're, 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 they're doing some stuff I'm not, I'm not a fan of. Yeah. Yeah. It was hard. Cause I mean, you have those experiences and you don't know if it's you, you don't know if it's like the organization and it's like these like slimy microaggressions that you experience. Yes. So it's really hard to decode. Thankfully we have much better language now. I didn't know any of this stuff back then. I just knew I felt sick Monday morning. Like, then <laughs> I would like, tell my friends like, Oh my gosh, I like barfed before because I hate my job. And I just thought like that was normal, which is gross. And my friends were like, ew, I like my job. I like to go to work. I was like, you lie about that. Your friends are lying. <laughs> yeah, I was like, who feels this way? That's not the truth. Why are you lying to me? And then you realize like it didn't have to be that way. Like I remember my first day feeling like I still had to do the corporate things. Like I'm going to do a networking breakfast and I'm going to network and get all these business cards, you know, like things like corporate prizes. And I remember like sitting at the light and I was like, nope, <laughs> I'm going to <laughs> breakfast by myself because I'm my own boss now and I can go to breakfast and do some writing that might be beneficial, will be beneficial for my business. And I don't need, have to do all the things. I think for me, it was just the pressure and the lack of authenticity to who I was just always had a code switch. And, you know, I'm a white woman, so it's, it's much different for folks of color and you know folks with other dimensions of diversity if if i was just feeling that based on my gender identity then good god like the workplace yeah. needs to do better like and it just i don't know it, it became very clear when i had a kiddo like Oof, we got to do better than this this is not okay for her and if it's not okay for her why is it okay for me it really helped push my thinking so that's, is that how you went down the path of becoming an entrepreneur and starting your own business and stuff like that? You kind of just, the lightning bulb, not lightning bulb, it's light bulb <laughs> went off in your head. You're like, I don't have a lightning bulb, no. That would be pretty cool. <laughs> it's a light bulb. Yeah, no, it was, I mean, I like to say like, I, yeah, one day decided, but it was a series of events, you know, serendipitous types of things. Like the universe was just kept throwing me these signals. Like, have you thought about this? And Ultimately, it was, I was in consulting. So my last job was in consulting in agriculture of all things. So wow. I can just imagine the people I was spending time with. And one of my great clients, they said, hey, Julie, you're a really good facilitator. Would you want to come onto our organization? We're starting up this like new division of training and we need facilitators to do leadership training for veterinarians who happen to be mostly women. And I thought, well, I don't, I've never done that before, you know? And then like, what I remember one of my allies, my mentors, he said, well, Julie, you've done A, B, and C before. How is that any different than this? And so it was really nice. <laughs> I think it was, a, a one, it was someone taking a chance on me and giving me an opportunity. And instead of saying no, thought about it. And like a lot of marginalized folks, we doubt ourselves or get that imposter. Like I could never do that thing. Because we haven't seen people like us do that. Yeah. And then having an ally to be like, mirror, mirror, like you can do this. So it was a series of events. And it took me a long time because I am still and was the breadwinner for our family. So starting a business with a newborn is not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> but it's never the right time. I mean, it could be a pandemic, a recession. You know, we always make excuses for not following our dreams. And no one sits on their deathbed like, gosh, I wish I hadn't had hadn't started this business <laughs> it's usually <laughs> what you wish you wish you had done what you didn't do so i, I think that's cool that you kind of just said you know what i have a dream i have a goal 
I'm going to follow it and you kind of achieved it. I think that's dope. Oh, thank you. That's cool. So it's how, uh, by no means perfect. I'm I'm a work in progress. <laughs> well, we all we all are. I think that's cool. That it's better to try and fail than not try and always wonder like, could I have done it? Mm-hmm. And you have to definitely get kudos for that. So, how did you come up with the name Next Pivot Point? How did you figure all this out? Because if you told me I want, if you if you came around and said, "Devil, you want to start a business?" I'm like, I don't know where to even start at. <laughs> How did you even get to that point? First meet with an accountant and file the paperwork. <laughs> no, it's, a, you know, there's some silly administrative stuff that happens. Oddly enough, though, that's actually not a very hard piece of it. You can decide whatever your business name is. So at the time, funny enough, I really struggled with the naming. And so I called myself Help Your Team Grow because I was going to do like broader leadership training. This was okay. again eight years ago when people weren't even talking about diversity stuff. So. Um, and when I came up with help your team grow, I could get the domain. I thought that was like the thing you had to have. Well, then you find out, right. You can file doing business as something else. So a couple of years later, I had written a book called pivot point and everyone kept calling me pivot point and pivot point. The domain of course was not available. Pivot point leadership, you know, I played around with it and people asked me, I remember my web team saying, well, what, what do people ask you? about your business. And I said, well, what's next? Like people are thinking about like, what's next for inclusion? Like what's next for my career? Those were the questions I was getting back then. So we put next in front of the pivot point and miraculously all the social handles were available and the URL was available. So now it's really easy when I'm on podcasts like this and talk with my clients, just super easy. Follow me at next pivot point everywhere. And nextpivotpoint.com is pretty easy for people to remember and type into. So it was an evolution. It took me a few years and I'm a marketing, I studied marketing and business <laughs> and then got my MBA and everything in it. So I was kind of like, Ooh, shame on you. Interesting enough though, the end of that story or kind of last development in that story a couple of years ago, I had an MBA class review my website and marketing and give feedback, which is like a very vulnerable thing to do. Cause I was like, mm, my baby's perfect. And they were like, so is next pivot point or is it Julie Kratz? And like, now I did buy Julie Kratz per their suggestion because gotcha. they said it was really unclear if it was like my brand or next pivot point and what was my role in it. So especially as we grow, now we're adding other facilitators and we have a team, a support team with me. It's important that I'm not the brand, right? So, but I still, you know, I still want that like little, like, yeah, this is Julie's, yeah, she started it, but it's just buy. So it's like this little squiggle at the bottom that I... Don't want to minimize, but I don't want to overshadow either. See, you, you already did it better than I did. I just came up with, <laughs> used my whole name, put it out there. <laughs> That's a great place to start, though. You can always, like, listen and learn and change it later if you want to. But your your name is it's a huge part of your brand. Yeah. yeah. It's So far, it's working. Yeah, there you That's, go. That's a good thing. So, for those who don't know, let people know what Next Pivot Point is about for those who want to yeah. talk to you, figure out what you do and stuff like that. Cause I think that's diversity and inclusion is very important. So I'll, I'll let you, I'll give you the floor. For yeah. That. Yeah, it is. So, you know, if you've heard the acronyms thrown around, it used to be D and I diversity inclusion. Now it's D E I. Well, not everywhere. Most places, diversity, equity, inclusion. Sometimes people slide in the B for belonging or the J for justice, all sorts of words <laughs> that people can use for this work, but essentially I do training, um, I do coaching, um, and we we really, the purpose for our work is to help engage all people in the organization 
around inclusion. I think people hear the word diversity and think, oh, I'm not diverse or that's not something I'm supposed to talk about. Well, especially for the majority group um, that mostly leads organizations, we need white men involved. And so that's something I'm really passionate about is how to get the majority group involved because if we don't have people in positions of power and influence with privilege that can help us, then we're just going to keep having this conversation. You know, you think about just gender and race, which diversity is way more than, but just those two pieces were woefully underrepresented at every level of the organizations, except for the entry level, right? And that's nonprofit, that's, you know, technology, that's manufacturing, that's everywhere. No industry is immune to these problems. And we're just not getting the best from folks when we're not included, right? That's why I left. That's why people are leaving now with this reshuffle, resignation, whatever you want to call it. So how do we help organizations keep their best people? By activating diversity, equity, and inclusion. Those are the kind of companies people want to work for. And this Gen Z that's coming, oh, you just wait. Like if you think, (laughs) I think they thought us millennials, I'm an elder millennial, I think, you know, we were really changing the workplace, which turns out we were not able to do, (laughs) not yet. Well, well, let let me ask you this, because I think you touched on something really interesting. Please. How is it for you in this modern age where people are, everything's either far right or far left. I'm not even talking about political, far right or far left in terms of either you are super woke or you are super or semi-racist or racist or things like that. You're a racist or an anti-racist, right? Anti- exactly. Would say, yeah. Yes. And, and, it's, and, uh, and you're, you're coming in trying to tell people about diversity and inclusion. I'm quite sure you might get some pushback from that because they think, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. considering, like you said, the majority doesn't necessarily want to give up the power Mm-mm. or share the power. So I'm quite sure you at times can get people who will be very standoffish to you from that. Oh, yeah. No, you're right, Delvin. It's a polarizing topic. I mean, DEI, however you want to use the words, it still scares the bejeebers out of some people. And for a lot of people, it's not enough. So you have this like pendulum. And, and that's where we're at as a society. You mentioned politics. We don't need to go into the specifics there. Yeah. But, you know, you're this or you're that. You're good or you're bad. You're this, you know, rarely are people one extreme or the other. Most yeah. often people are a both and in the middle. And I'm not saying that everybody's on board with DEI, but most attitudinal research says 75% of folks care about it and they they want organizations to be doing more with that. So more people than not, it is scary to think 25% of people are not on board. I would like to think I don't know these people, but I'm sure they're everywhere. And, you know, to me, that just signals fear, ignorance, risk of irrelevance, you know, that kind of thing that leads to that behavior or this isn't for me, or I don't want to give up my power, right? And we're just asking to share it, not not give it up necessarily. But it is polarizing. And so when I start any engagement with a client, I usually say just that. For some of you, this will feel like too much. For some of you, this is going to feel like too little. What I'm hoping to do is meet people in the middle. And 90% of you are probably somewhere in the middle where you just need education, resources, content to keep you on your journey. And that's what I'm going to focus on. I'm not going to focus on the extremes. And so if you're mad at me, uh, I'm asking for your forgiveness in advance, but we got to move forward with what the majority of folks need. And I think focusing on, I call them the murky middle, sometimes the magic middle, you know, folks that are on the sidelines, they don't know what to say or do. If we can get those folks involved in the conversation, I think we accelerate change way more quickly. That is a good way to look at it. 
that's a good way to handle things. I think you're doing good by that. <laughs> I wish kind everyone of. thought so. You know, we'll get feedback forms where people say, oh my gosh, I can't believe she said the word privilege. And, <laughs> and you'll get other people like, I can't believe a white woman's talking about DEI. And I'm like, I don't know how to please both of you. And I'm just not going to because I'm never going to win you over. But that's kind of the thing. When you have both sides kind of like, this person's terrible. I don't like her. You might be doing something right. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to say the word privilege. So sorry. Well, not sorry. And yeah, I am a white woman. I can't change that. And if where people like me aren't talking about this, like, where the how are we going to advance? Like, how are we? And that's, I deeply think it's unfair to ask people of color and folks from marginalized communities to lead this conversation exclusively. Like this isn't a problem that was created, yeah. right? More of people like me are, you know, male versions. Yeah. Not that they're bad. I'm just saying like the systems were created by people to work for some people and to ask people that didn't create them to fix them seems preposterous to me. Yes. I think you bring up a good point with that because I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about that exact same thing, how you need people who are not minorities to speak up in these situations because a lot of times we'll say things and it will get brushed off because oh they're just complaining mm -hmm. this is this is what they do they 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 get mad and they're not they don't take our words seriously but when you hear other people bring up like hey this is a real issue we need to fix this people be a little bit more willing to listen to that statement so that's good on you well and i it's a journey for me too i mean when i grew up like here in the midwest where you know there was a lot of weird messaging you know i i, I think about race just because that's the one that is so i think so interesting to me because there was so much i didn't know growing up or learned in our, you know we didn't learn the real history in our history books so for yeah. me as a white person you know it's like oh we're colorblind we don't see color everything's equal now civil rights took care of it you know just these weird messages i got Oh, yeah. And then, like, I would have friends of color over at my house, and my mom would act a little weird. And I didn't know what it was at the time. But you just get these, like, subtle signals growing up. And then you pick up an anti-racism book. And yeah. my friend Erica and I started co-facilitating anti-racism work six or seven years ago. And your mind is blown. I mean, the yeah. stuff she was sharing with me, I was like, this I did not know. Why didn't I know? Well, that's intentional. That was on purpose, right? Because if we don't know about a problem, we can't solve it. And so isolating it to this is your problem, you community. You'll need to work hard and myth of meritocracy, pull your bootstraps up, kind of solve it. It's deeply unhelpful, but it's a really clever strategy to maintain the status quo is to keep us separate, keep those yeah. worlds separate. But if we experience each other's worlds and worlds collide and we start to partner and be allies to one another, like what, 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 um, what's possible? I know for me, when I was researching men as allies, this was a point for me where men of color more often than not were likely to join the conversation. And I remember looking around the room one time and being like, what is up with this? And they shared with me, like, Julie, we know what it feels like. I mean, we don't know what it feels like to be a woman, but we know what it feels like to feel excluded. Yes. So we want to help. And I was like, bingo. Then I need to like be much more engaged in this too. So anyway, it's 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 a collaborative effort. And I think we just need so many more people to get involved. I like it. Good answer. So let, let me ask you this. Let's, what made you want to write a book? How, how does one go out and write a book, go through the whole process? Seems like a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, 
It was another thing with the business is like, you need a credibility piece, right? And a business card, you know, it's easy to chuck in the trash. I don't even keep them anymore, have them anymore <laughs> since everything's virtual. And if I meet someone for coffee, I'm definitely not giving them a business card. It seems <laughs> silly. But uh, for me, it was about having something long lasting for credibility. So I was in my early thirties when I started my business and, you know, young blonde white girl, not necessarily somebody that people listen to for something like leadership and business expertise. And so I was like, okay, how can I build credibility? So I did a bunch of um, interviews and I just started asking women of all ages, all backgrounds, industries, ethnicities, races, very broad group of about 30 women. And just ask them, you know, standard questions like what's holding women back? What's held you back? What do you wish that organizations were doing more to support you? What are the skills needed of women for the future? And, you know, some of this I've learned along the way that women don't need fixing. Society does. Cultures do. But at the time when I wrote Pivot Void, it was much more focused. Okay, what do women do? How do we use this as a reflection moment? So I partnered with a book coach, um, like a book writing coach. And she helped me publish it. So all the Amazon-y, you know, uploading and you know, all that stuff she did, which was nice. And I think if you want to write a book, finding partners that can help you. The beauty of a partner like uh, Amazon is you can self-publish pretty easily and have your own publishing brand as we knew, do now. But they take a huge part of your book sales. <laughs> so I'll tell people like, yeah, buy a book. And like, you know, I literally get like $2 or maybe $2.50. <laughs> don't get a lot of money when, but do I want to like warehouse books and ship them? No. And it's more for credibility. So I think if, unless you get a book, you know, a huge book signing deal, which all of those big publishing companies want you to have a huge social following to sign you up, which is a huge problem with perpetuating privilege. Don't even get me started, but you can self-publish relatively easily. Just keep in mind that um, you're not going to have like a windfall of money. Yes. <laughs> At least that isn't my experience. Yes, I've made back the costs. And yes, it helps me get speaking engagements. And occasionally we'll have bulk orders that are fairly, you know, financially lucrative, but it, more times than not, it's just making back the investment <laughs> and using it to make connections. And I think that's the thing with books is like, you can really facilitate a meaningful relationship. Like people feel like they know me after they read my book. And like, that really helps fast track, you know, a, a relationship where we can build trust much more quickly. So you're saying I should write a book then? Yes, Delvin. What are you going to write about? <laughs> I have no clue. <laughs> what is the message the world needs to hear? Uh, hmm. That The Last Jedi is not a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Star Wars. Hey, you could do something with Star Wars. The critiquing or backstory, something. <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty cool. So, did you one? Did you ever think about doing podcasting? Because you seem like you have a knack for. Mm -hmm. Based off of what you're doing, seems like podcasting would be right in your lane. Yeah, yeah. We have the diversity pivot podcast. This is another thing I've learned: is you can change the name of your podcast. So we used to call it the Next Pivot Point Podcast, and it's obviously not obvious that it's about diversity. <laughs> so yeah. And this was before the summer of 2020. So I was like searching like diversity and my podcast would never come up on any search engine um, algorithm. And then my, my podcast again, an expert that helps me. She's really great with strategy work on podcasting. She said, well, Julie, diversity is not anywhere in your podcast name or description. I was like, hmm, shame on me. 
So never too late to change. We changed it to the diversity pivot podcast. And it's still, I mean, it's, you know, I I don't know, 50,000 downloads or something. Not, not, not in the hall of fame of podcasts because it's been around for many, many years. See, I didn't, I yeah, you might need to start telling people about this podcast. <laughs> like, just, just say it. I didn't so even know you had a podcast. It's a secret, Devin. I don't want anyone to find it. <laughs> but I, I love it. You know what I love is I get to have conversations with people like you that just have such a different perspective, that have a really cool story, yeah. that have tips that the world can hear from. It's kind of like my research and development, honestly. I'll be taking notes during the podcast for the description and I'm like, oh shoot, I should include this in my next blog or my next book. Like this is a really great concept. So it's how I learn because I think some of us get into the work and we, you know, can call ourselves experts, which I don't like to call myself, but you can think you know everything and then you realize you have a lot more to learn. So it's a way of continuing to stretch my brain and and make me, make me keep thinking and rethinking how I approach this work. Now let's try this right now. Let everybody know the name of your podcast. Let's try to do some marketing. Oh, so, so, they, so they know off the top LA. of their head. So, You're so, such a good so, uh, I, so I can also put it in my phone and download the podcast. Oh, well, thank you. I would love for listeners to, you know, tell, tell me what you think about it. It's called The Diversity Pivot Podcast. I'm doing it right Diversity now. Diversity Pivot should bring it up pretty easily. Or if you just search my name, Julie Kratz, K-R-A-T-Z, then you can find anything and everything. Pretty easily, but I think we're at 182 episodes uh, to this week. So we've talked about a lot of hot topics and diversity. And I would say, listeners, if you want to be on the podcast or know somebody that would be a great guest, please send me a note, um, Julie at nextpivotpoint.com. I'm always all ears to topics um, or potential guests' ideas as well. I have now put it on my app. Yay! And I may have people, several people that I can introduce on your podcast i think it'd be pretty cool to be on the show yeah i mean we talked about everything i talked to white men about like white male epiphanies with diversity it's probably my favorite hold on, okay. episodes hold on white male epiphanies. You, you have to explain this now yeah like what is this? like well that, like literally like i think the most fascinating stories of, of older white men that you think don't get it i mean let's face it the world's in a weird place right now yes but you get these guys on there and they're like really vulnerable about their stories. And like, I didn't know this was a thing and here's how I found out. And I think that's just, I'm always looking for like the wake up moments for people. Like what does it take to get people out of their like safe, comfortable, you know, cushy, you know, neighborhood corporation, wherever they are that they're insulating themselves. How do you get people to see something they sometimes don't want to see? And once they see it, they can't unsee it. So that's also a cool part of the story. It's like, well, shoot, now that I know this is a thing, I got to do something about it. So what am I doing? Yes. One of the most interesting times when I was podcasting, well, I'm still podcasting, I'm saying when I was, but um, during the protests all across the nation that were happening a couple of years ago, I had a lot of people copping in my DMs asking me to help them understand what's going on and why is this happening. And people had no clue that police brutality was a thing and no clue that this is, these are things that go, goes on in the black community. They didn't understand the fear. And uh, it was very interesting talking to people because it happened quite a lot around that time, talking to people and explaining to them, these are some fears that people, black people have. These are things that we deal with. And they're, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that throughout a tragic situation, I was able to 
educate people on the importance of, hey, this is what's going on. This is how, helps you to be better. Now you understand what's going on in our in our environment. Mm-hmm. I think that was always cool. Yeah. Well, kudos to you for making the mental space to do that because you shouldn't have to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, people need to educate themselves. I always tell people like, do not ask somebody a question that you could Google and find a reputable source online to yes. support. I think if there's anything we've learned over the last couple of years is awareness has increased, but unfortunately, you know, representation and, and change has been very stagnant. And I think the lesson learned here is like, you know, when you show up at a protest or when you show up on social media about the, how wrong this is, and then you go away, that feels very hurtful to a community that wants to embrace you as an ally. Yeah. And that's, I wouldn't call you an ally, it's performative. You know, being an active ally, I think is what's really important. And active allies, like if they, if you were kind enough to share time with them, that's on you now to like do the work. Like now that you know that this is a real issue, like what are you doing? You know, how are you using your voice for good? How are you voting? Where are you spending your time? How do you raise your children? I mean, there's so many questions and there's so many things that we can do individually that I think especially white people kind of throw up their hands like, oh, I can't solve this big problem. I don't know what to do. But there's so many things you can do individually. And I think that's what I'm really passionate about is getting people, individuals to make change. And then hopefully, hopefully that bubbles up to systemic change long term. Yeah. But Oh dear, we're a ways away from that. So oh, it's yeah. baby steps. It's baby steps. And I, I'm really empathized with the black community of how patient everyone's been because it's completely unacceptable. And I know I can use my voice a little bit more um, in an emotional tone being a white person. I'm, I'm given that leeway a bit more. And so I try <laughs> to use that advantage, um, that privilege that I have, use it for good um, because it's just... It's preposterous that we're still in the state yeah. right now. I think patient is a word. It's more like we have to accept it. Yeah, we, we want to be patient, but it's like, what can we do? Are we all just gonna move and move to Africa, move to Canada? You know, that's not move that's to not the a, coast. Yeah, move to the coast. That's not that's <laughs> not a thing that's feasible for most people. A lot of people don't have a lot of money to and plus, truthfully speaking, this is our home. Yeah. Yeah. Why would you think people can just move from their homes, let alone like have the money and resources to do that? Like, why would you like, this is your home? Yes. This is our home. We're, we are Americans. We grew up here. We helped build the country. We helped play a big part in this country. And we just ask to be respected Mm -hmm. as such. And I think people don't, some people either don't grasp that or choose not to grasp that. And I think that's where the problem lies. Yeah. And most people don't have friends that are different than them. I think that's been really startling to me is like 75% of white people have like only white friends. They don't even have a person of color as a friend, like yikes. And they live in like really white dominated communities. So it's easy to be like, oh, that doesn't happen here. That doesn't happen to me. Well, yeah, of course it does. We're not talking about you or your community. We're talking about other places. And that lack of empathy sometimes is really problematic because we don't have empathy and we can't understand that people have different lived experiences from us, then we're going to continue to look at these as separate issues. And, um, you know, I, I think just for anybody listening that wants to be a better ally, like just know that mistakes are a part of the process. I make mistakes on a regular basis. I mean, I wish I didn't, but you're, we're learning, we're growing and I'll never understand the experiences of folks that are, you know, have a different lived experiences for me. Then that's just by nature. I want to empathize and try to understand, but 
quick short story, just to emphasize what you're saying, David. I had um my friend Erica, so we co-facilitate anti-racism. We've been doing it for a long time. I'd never met her husband, who Erica's black and he's black. And I'd never met him, just you know, pandemic, all sorts of stuff. But finally, it's my birthday. We're going on a boat in southern India, which southern Indiana is not a diverse place. <laughs> no. Shocker. But I really like it because I went to school at IU. Anyway, so we're on this boat. And of course, you know, they are the only black people. I invited plenty of black people, but it was just that just happened to be the case that day. So anyway, he comes and I was like, Yeah, just like we're at the Airbnb, just like help yourself in. Like, you know, we'll go to the boat together. And he comes down and he goes, and God love him. You know, Erica's like, I was like, finally I get to meet you. And he's like, Julie, how long you been doing this DEI work? And I was like, uh, like and Erica's like, oh, just wait. It's <laughs> like, uh, like eight years. He's like, you just asked a black man to come unannounced into a house in Southern Indiana, <laughs> in the middle of a white community. Yeah. And, you know, you can do better than that. And I like so appreciated his candor. And I said, you know what? You're 100% right. I did think about it and I forgot because I was doing something else. Not a good excuse. I'll do better next time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just one of those things where Eric is like, I know you can handle it, Julie. So I'm just going to let him go. But normally, I don't. <laughs> but I was like so embarrassed and also like really thankful that he just having met me felt comfortable having that conversation. And yeah. those are the conversations we just should be having way more of and we're not. And it doesn't have to be scary. It doesn't have to be confrontational. We just need to talk openly with one another as humans, as human beings that yeah. care about each other. Yeah, because if you don't know, you don't know. You can't fix the problem. And I think that's important because people don't understand that the way you move in the world is not the same way I can move in the world. And what may be acceptable for you to do, definitely unacceptable for me to do. <laughs> yeah, there's so many examples of that, like how anger is portrayed across races, what's acceptable yeah. and what's not. Um, movement. I think that's one of the biggest privileges I have is I can walk so many different places. I can go into grocery stores, banks, schools, and, and not feel like I'm the only one like me or feel fear or feel like someone's going to be unwelcoming to me. Like it yeah. just doesn't happen to me very often. I didn't know. I didn't know that was a thing. I thought everyone was treated that way <laughs> until yeah. you compare notes and you're like, oh, I've heard that story a hundred times now. It's very real that black women get their hair touched constantly. Like that's very weird because yeah. no one does that to me. But now that someone's told me that a hundred different times, I believe you. I mean, I believed after the few times. But at first I was like, what? No. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's little little things like that that are weird. And it kind of throws you off. And you you get used to it and you shouldn't have to get used to it because it's unacceptable. But it's like that. It's like, what can you do? Yeah. You can just all the thing you can do is just keep on telling people, like, hey, this is not okay. Mm -hmm. I understand. I may be different, but I am human. I should be respected. I think that's well. I should end that with that. But people <laughs> don't get that. No, they don't. Have you seen like the uproar about the Little Mermaid? Oh, Have you seen God. this this week? Yes. They're like, oh, they changed it. They changed everything. Like. So diverse representation scares you about the mermaid? Like, yeah. <laughs> the person who is a fish. Yes. Then to see the black girls watching the trailer so excited. And I'm like, oh, that is just such a beautiful thing to see. Like myself, someone that looks like me on a screen. People don't understand how important that is. But yes. 
again, like back to polarization is like, oh, I'm against it or I'm for it. It's just like, oh, it's a mermaid. Are you kidding me, people? You would think that someone took the original movie and burned it so you can't watch it again. And no. they should. That was a very problematic film. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a woman had to lose her voice and leave her family to get married. I mean, don't to even get, go To there. get a man, yeah. <laughs> That's a wild story when you really look at The Little Mermaid. It is insane. Not right. Yeah. No, I that was my favorite Disney film as a kid. It is amazing. I came out a feminist. Yeah, <laughs> that seared in my little eight-year-old brain. Like, oh dear, very bad. Yeah, you look at all the stuff in there. We're like, huh? This is a, this is right. This is kind of no. And Ursula was based off a drag queen, so a villain. So you're taught to be scared of people yes. that are drag queens or gender more gender fluid. So it's like all these messages in there so anything's going to be better but i'd love the diverse representation but you're right i mean all these issues they just keep bubbling up and if people think this conversation is going away it's just very much just getting started yeah it's, it's not going away i think we are getting to this point in this country where we need to face the reality of things i think so many things have been kind of brushed under the rug and swept under the rug shall i say and ignored for so long and people are kind of tired of it being ignored and now People are talking, and people aren't, aren't stopping talking. I know people keep saying, "We can stop talking about this now." They're not going to stop. It's, mm. the, the cat's out the bag now. They don't. They're not going to stop. They don't want to stop. We have to start fixing things now. Yep. We're at that point now. Yep. I, that's my hope. That's my hope, Delvin. I, I, it's slow going. It's, it's very. It feels like we're not doing enough most days, but the fact that we get to have conversations like this and. Hopefully our listeners have more conversations like this. That gives me some hope. Yes. And you're fighting a good fight. That's good. Good on you. Mm, I'm trying. It doesn't, again, it, it very much, I, when I put my pillow, head on the pillow at night, it's like, geez, I wish, I wish more had been done. But then you get like somebody that'll say like, oh my gosh, I like listened to this, you know, six months ago. And now I did this and had this conversation. And so the light bulbs happen. They just usually happen like yeah. months down the road. Yes. It happens, you know, it's sometimes it takes time, but people are listening, people people are understanding. You're getting through to people. Just keep doing your thing. Oh, thanks for I appreciate that. Awesome. Thank you for coming on, Julie. Let people know where to find you at. And say your podcast. <laughs> One more time. The Diversity Pivot Podcast. Uh so check that out. We're on all the things, iTunes, Google, what all the all the places, Spotify. Spotify. Yeah. Um and then the best place to find me in the podcast is nested here, really easy to find, as well as like a treasure trove of resources. So we try to make everything readily accessible for people to do their own DEI work. Um, but it gives you a lot of ideas. So it's nextpivotpoint.com. And again, yeah. Next Pivot Point is our social handle everywhere. Last thing I say is LinkedIn, uh, Julie Kratz, K-R-A-T-Z. I post every day there an article, a story, an idea. So um, I just like to kind of keep a slow trickle on the DEI work. So if you're on LinkedIn and want some content to follow, make make sure to follow me there. There you go. Thank you for coming on, Julie. You've been great. Thanks, Delvin. And as always, Delvin Cox Experience, we are out. Peace.